Miss McIntosh, my darling, chapter 64, part two. I stared through my tears, trembling upon my eyelashes, my eyelashes like long rays of shadows, my tears of rose and green and silver and blue and gold, like small worlds or like a private rainbow or like the prisons, teardrops of the chandelier of which the flames had been lighted, for it was a day of shadows and clouds, crystal branches spreading like great tree branches over us. And now the wind scraping was almost inaudible, scarcely could one hear a footstep in the house, and the sea was far away and burning low, and Miss Mackintosh's bald head shone like a lost planet above me. It was difficult for me to speak at that moment, Miss Mackintosh being so near, almost near enough to touch, but I managed to insist, shyly, for I was not to be easily discouraged, that there might still be a cure for her baldness. Modern science could do so much. Scientists could surely grow hair on a few inches, scarcely larger than a handkerchief dropped by a careless god, as desert lands might flower, as seas might give up their dead, or there might be life on other stars, or perhaps alchemists could help her. Perhaps that which came out of a drug bottle would be of assistance to her in her plight. As these old chemists had dreamed, he created so many mirages of blue and green and silver and mauve and gold. So many domes of gold, so many towers of silver gleaming over the waters, there might be some way she could improve or change if she really was unhappy, bald. Though as for myself, her baldness was my love. None, she said as if she were offended. I have no hair anywhere on my body. I'm a hairless woman. Oh, foolish child, you have no imagination if you cannot imagine this. Where is your understanding? I go through darker waters than wherever reached by moon or sun. Don't you think I have tried? God knows that I have tried what God tried not. I've been washed upon by all the waves, and there was never one hair. A barber in Chicago told me he could do nothing, she boasted, almost smiling. Yes, she had gone to a barber long ago, although with a good deal less faith than when she was younger than now, when faith seemed to have flamed once more for a moment in her heart, and she was too old for faith in a future of any kind. She had crept in and out of the rain into a barber shop, where there was the barber pole, which was the sign of the blood letter, with his blood letter with his bucket of leeches and where an old striped awning had flapped in the wind and where the L had cast its shadows and where there were the flashing lights of trains passing with rumbling wheels overhead and had lifted her wig and said to the barber who had stood there sharpening his razor on stone what can you do for the likes of me the barber had said he could do nothing for obviously she did not need to be shaved or she had already been shaved and she did not need to have her hair cut as it had already been cut, and all that might be done for her, it had been done. Bald I came into this world, and bald I will go out of it, little doubt. I will be lucky if I can take my umbrella or have even my shadow where I step. The barber was helpless. Not for a million dollars said he could grow even one hair in this bald dome, and not one hair of silver or of gold, and not one hair of black or white or hair of any color could he draw out, could he draw out up there. Not even a hair of the sunlight, hair of the moonlight, hair of the star, dearest, said he. And if he could grow one hair, he would be a millionaire. Not for all the gold of Croesus would he do this, he said to me. And if he could, he would not need the gold of Croesus. Indeed, he waxed eloquent on the subject. He could no more grow one hair than he could pluck birds out of the air, phoenix feathers flashing with silver and gold. No more than he could pluck yachts out of the clouds or angel wings. Could do nothing. He boasted so much of what he could not do, Miss McIntosh concluded, almost wistfully, with a watery look. I would almost have married him, if he had not been the barber, and if my head had not been soon as shorn. Oh, God, why 
asked if he had been a bad barber or even a barber of Seville, and then we do not know what might have been possible. Her face turned from white to rose. Where there was only water, the firmament laid upon the firmament. I should remember her as the lonely heart of all, even as she had been in that last month where the old values had shifted before my eyes. The old certainties had been broken, and like the waves wandering and tossed at the sorrows, the human heart were enlarged beyond nature. Before her body she committed to the deep, before the waters of pride had closed over her head, which was that great splendid pearl, that essential loneliness of each in this creation of imagination and memory and remorse over the things that are not. So there had been, even in my eyes then, trouble and heaviness and doubt, a world unmoored, and we were already, though we stood in the midst of the revelation of love, knocking, knocking, knocking at death's door. The end being so near the beginning that there had been no time between the conception and the memory, and we were carried up almost to heaven and again into the deep places, from revelation to corruption, from anger to compassion, from mystery to mystery. For this was the whirlwind, and this was the whirlwind denuding the leaves from the tree. And this was the universal baldness and sign of mourning. All beauty was consumed by this. All loving kindness was needed for this knowledge, not of the bride, not of the bridegroom, not of the rose, not of the children and the children's children, but this which was gone and which would be magnified through no way except that it was gone like the star out of heaven. Whose were these bones? Whose were these eyes? Whose were these members? The heart should dissolve. The eyelid should close. There should be only water, wind, and foam. All must go down into the deep. The flesh is grass fading before my eyes. The baldness of the universal morning, which was hers as she sat in the gray fog blowing, at last having no desire for shelter, protection of any nest, or even the highest pinnacle outside the realm of vision. Her old, gnarled hands folded in her lap. Her old, toothless mouth agape and eyes closed in dull intensity, unless, with sudden shifting, she should remember herself again. The pang in the breastbone, the suffocated heart, the flushed cheeks, and let herself be occupied with even the last pretense of getting ready, a task such as to mend for some bright and beautiful occasion not yet foreseen in its exactitude by her, a pair of old black gloves which were good for wear on the seventh day of the week when she should take a constitutional and find her members which were lost, even her tides of golden hair. Her hands busy or folded at the wound where the breast was missing. She would sit still by the window, wrapped in those memories beyond the province of sense, but then suddenly bethinking herself of her common sense which had been so lavish must stir, move, cry out. And there was nothing certain but at last her baldness, which had been, ever been hers from the beginning, from the first day to the last, and the outgoing of the morning and the outgoing of the evening when she should be seen no more, but as the essential loneliness of every mortal heart, soul, and body, which when each must go alone, even upon the wings of the wind, even upon the tide which does not return. What path was there for her? What certain way but this, this so broad, so deep and wide sweeping as waters on all other shores, breaking perhaps into many paths. Her old Macintosh, stolen, faded, splotched with pale green and gold like the sky after the storm. And perhaps it had reflected the storm, and perhaps the storm had reflected it. Lay around her shoulders, far out at sea, the waters gleamed with oily colors like this when perhaps an old tanker had gone down. She sat hunched up and semi-nude, her bald head shining in fog as she shuffled out and dealt to herself and to an invisible partner the old playing cards which might have come. Their faces darkened and faded, their edges curled out of the sky or the sea like those the wind had tossed. Would have been her sins, but not those of commission, only those of omission, of turning away, as she said, of going, of being gone. She did believe, bleakly smiling as her old head ducked. 
Things had been so sad, and her constitution and written and her days numbered, always this baldness. It had pursued her from place to place, leaving her no peace but in the eyes of others. And that had been her life in the beginning, when bald she had come out of her mother's womb, having no hair or feather to cover her. Bald she would sink into her grave, she did believe, her old eyes smiling, and it was ever so as on the night before her marriage to the preacher. Why, however, should she have trusted him or any preacher who was himself the lost soul? the bald heart so much worse, according to her way of thinking, than the bald head whom God hath created. Whom God hath created, let God not put away with the brown leaves falling, the stars going out. Oh, the weariness of her mother, it was that, she believed, which had caused this baldness, the failure of her mother to love her father, and the bald meeting the bald, and the death meeting the death, and the whirlwind and the vortex, and the everlasting baldness of snowy altitudes, unshadowed by one hair or feather or wing. Even as a little child, she had wept hiding her tears in the dark, carrying her head as high as any. When she was three years old, had first noticed that she had no hair. She had worn a little toupee, which she had snatched from an old doll's head. Why, it was hard to believe now, but bald, she had gone to school until she was seven years old. For her little toupee would not even cover her, and she had no wig, and perhaps no one thought she should have one. Each morning, she had looked at herself in the mirror, thinking that perhaps she had grown a hair during the night, but there was not a single hair. She had looked at herself in streams and had thought perhaps she had seen a hair, and sometimes there might seem one until the waters moved. And she knew that what she had thought was a hair was the hair of a flower, the hair of a moth passing over her, or a thin hair of light coming through a cloud. Perhaps it was a thin thread of a minnow. Perhaps it was a minnow star. She had looked into frozen streams, dreaming that she might have hair if she waited long enough. How she had envied her sisters who had been endowed with the most beautiful hair hair into which they had wild cornflowers, and even her brothers who had had fine heads of hair. But she was this old baldy, even then, and yet it was she who had gotten the pearl-handled penknife from the journeyman phrenologist, who was a great designer of octagon houses and who had visited the little one-room country school, and had chosen her head as the most beautiful head of all because of its structure, because of the great common sense, because of the capacity, he had said, for the greatest dreaming and faith in something good and she would go farther than all the others. He had brought his penknife with him because he had expected to find a boy's head was the finest head, was willing to concede that a little girl's head was the finest, and was greatly surprised to find this bald head gleaming like mother, like mother of pearl. Or like clouds when there were no clouds. He was a peregrine and never in his wandering to tap such a head as this. Usually the thatch of the grass hair intervened between him and his studies. But this bald dome was beautifully exposed, like a map where a man might see himself, when there were no deceptions, no deceits, no illusions, when the only premise or foundation stone given was the bald dome dreaming waters and clouds and winds, hair, feathers of birds, grass, flowers, all man's imaginings and all woman's loves. Here was the most beautiful brain box he had ever seen in the world of living, and he had not visited the world of the dead. Leaning close, he had heard a buzzing, snoring sound. Indeed, he had grown rhapsodic, was quite carried away by his own oratory, Miss Mackintosh believed, her face turning from green to rose to golden, sweeping and swayings of lights. As she remembered the old phrenologist with his penknife, his fingers tapping upon her forehead, as if she were that melon which is hardest to know, and remembered the astonishment of everyone else that he had chosen her for the great prize. Why? Perhaps everyone else was wondering. He predicted that she would live in lands of clouds and live among kings of gold and castles and towers. For she showed this great ability, although her dome was bald as earth must have been the day before God moved over the face of the waters. The way the mosaics of her skull bones fitted into the mosaics of her skull bones was something marvelous. 
and hers was that large bump which was common sense, and hers was the bump of the dreamer who would mirror man, and hers was that seed greater than the sea of Azov. He said that her bare head would be shadowed by the wings of birds and moths and many hurricane lights and lights of stars. He had encouraged her. He had praised her so much that all those old nonconformist Bible quoters had gone mad. He had praised her so much that her mother thought that her head might be turned, that she was vain, vain of her baldness. Her mother had made her a black velvet hood with which to cover her head to hide her baldness from the world. And her mother had told her to stand no more on one leg staring into an old shaving mirror every morning, for the golden bowl was broken and there would never be a hair, and the golden bowl was broken before ever she was drawn up from the well, and she should not be vain. She should walk in narrow ways with her head covered. But when, as a little child, she was baptized in an icy river, she had almost drowned, just as her soul was on the verge of being saved, and slipped away from the old bearded preacher just when she was to be immersed in her bonnet coming off. The brothers and sisters on the shore of the hall congregation seemed with long sign, her cold, bare head like the moon reflected upon the water before the waters had closed over her. So she had been the subject of the wildest laughter, turned away by all that she had ever wanted, reaching out where there were no hands to reach hers where none could ever reach to her, and her way, this essential loneliness of one who had been, however practical and not in mourning for herself, or all that was not the other head, the other heart, the other hands, yet wanting to be like other people. And why, she wondered now, for might they not better have been like, like her? She had tried, oh, had tried so hard to cover her baldness, perhaps not so much for her own sake as for theirs, that they might not be shocked and frightened when they saw her with her head as bare as the stone where nothing grows, and which had already been washed over by many waters when the waters had closed over her with ice in many places, and bare tree branches plaintively scraping in the wind as she had lost consciousness, and went to God that consciousness had never been restored, as Miss McIntosh now silently remarked. Perhaps in some ways it never had been. There was no money for a wig in a family so poor that the shoemaker's children went with their feet uncovered and some had not their coffins, although her father was also a coffin maker. And besides, who would encourage her vanity, her adorning herself with a head covering made of the hairs which were not her own? And what was a hair, Miss McIntosh wondered now, though somewhat vaguely, her eyes watering because of the stinging of sand grains upon the light to which she was exposed without feathery eyelashes to protect her. She had certainly learned to live with no protection. Many a time her bare head had felt the winter wind, the freezing cold which cracked the paving stones where others walked, the summer heat, why should a hair have seemed so important to her when, then when she was a little child? Perhaps she sometimes thought now a hair was important only because she had none. And if she had had hair, she would have given to it no second thought, of course. But now she had no second thought and lived so close to her own baldness that she could scarcely see tomorrow, scarcely remember yesterday. Sometimes it seemed to her that all the man, all of man's thoughts and all of man's dreams, ambitions, desires, all that he had ever built or dreamed, the bridge which flowed when the water stood still, or the water which flowed when the bridge stood still, or the water which flowed when the bridge flowed, all his reflections were less than a single hair of silver or gold, or hair of no color drifting in the wide universe of starless space. Perhaps all would someday be bald as she was when she was a little child dreaming of a hair of the moonlight, a hair of the sunlight, a hair upon the water, a hair in a cloud. Vain she was, it might be said, but she had made herself a wig as best she could, for surely, as she herself had seen with her own eyes, even in old what cheer, where there was so little cheer, most birds were feathered, and roosters had their old red coxcombs, and surely most animals had coats, and most trees had leaves, and flowers grew along the hedgerows, 
hedgerows in the spring of the year, and the sky was given clouds and many nuances and many shades, and most were given their bodies and their souls, but she was given none, was hairless as a skull washed up upon a lonely shore, hairless as if she had never been found after days of floating upon the river, when the ice broke or hiding under lily pads as big as umbrellas, hiding where only the moon found her, or some old bullfrog cloaked and stared, for someone must always see her 